We have a special guest this morning on This Week in the CLE, the columnist who wrote our hottest story of the day yesterday, Leila Tassi. It's the news podcast from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn here with my colleagues, Jane Cahoon, Chris Warnowski, and as I said, columnist Leila Tassi. It's Friday. Good morning. Let's get started. Is Chagrin Falls being swept by hysteria about potential riots and looting? Leila Tassi had a column yesterday that pretty much said, yes, they are. It was one of the, the most poignant pieces I've seen come out of the past week. And Leila, let's talk about it a little bit. How did you get involved in that? What did you see? What's, what's the effect? And I know you're getting some complaints. Yeah. So, so the backstory here involves this, this 15-year-old high school sophomore named Chase Tuller, this young activist. He's a leader among his peers. And after the death of George Floyd, he wanted to stage a Black Lives Matter protest in, in this park in the heart of Chagrin Falls. And of course, we know Chagrin Falls is a white affluent suburb in Cuyahoga County. Obviously, frankly, this is a town that is exactly the kind of place where the message of the Black Lives Matter movement should reach. This is white America. And, and when it comes to the social forces that are the underpinning of police brutality against black citizens, white America is responsible for addressing them. So, you know, a lot of people applauded his effort uh, to put together this little pr this program that he had in mind and he advertised with a flyer. And so anyway, all of a sudden word spreads of the protest. And this was on the heels of the protest Saturday night in downtown Cleveland that you know, devolved into riots and looting and violence. So Chagrin Falls on Sunday night starts boarding up their storefronts. And what's actually worse than that, really, is that Chase started receiving threats, pretty serious threats. One one person left him a voicemail that said if anyone dared to attend the protest, they'd be met by an automatic rifle. So all of this, the boarded up downtown and the threats, had a chilling effect on Chase's decision to exercise his rights here. And he canceled the protest on Sunday night. And yet still businesses continued to board up their windows. So so let me let me stop you there, because Chris Warnowski just happened on Sunday night looking for uh, to get away from downtown Cleveland where he lives. He actually drove out there and saw some of this. And Chris, you described a little bit about the the kind of the forbidding nature of it as you tried to talk to people, not as a journalist, just as somebody saying, hey, what's going on here? What did, what did you see? Yeah. So we decided to take a trip down to Pleasantville and we, we, <laughs> we were, we were driving around the square and we were headed out to go to one of the parks there because it's really pretty. And I, I noticed there were a couple of businesses and people were out like boarding up their businesses. One was putting like drop cloths over the sign above the, the big plate glass window. And I was like, I, I told, I, I turned to my girlfriend and I said, is something happening here? Like what's going on? And so I, you know, ever curious, I pulled the car around and tried to pull up and talk to somebody about it. And they did not want to talk about it. I said, I asked, I asked one woman, I said, you know, did something happen? And she goes, nothing happened. And <laughs> I'm, like, oh. I'm like, well, okay. So we, we went, went along our way. And then the next day this sort of started to Okay. So I was like, oh, goodness. <laughs> so, so Monday, Porter Brenda Kane actually wrote a story about this because by the, I think it was by the end of the day, Monday, they were basically 30% boarded up. And actually, they were boarding up the Apple store and the Eaton collection. I mean, this, this kind of was going wild. So, Layla, at that point, we thought there'd be no protest and the, the city, the village is only a third boarded up, but the hysteria continued. What happened next? 
Well, so by Tuesday, most, I, I would say 80% of the business district was boarded up. And in fact, I had heard that there was a man driving up and down the street offering to board up storefronts for $300 a piece. And that that kind of nudged those who were on the fence about it in the direction of going ahead and doing it in an abundance of precaution is how they would describe it. But but I, I call this hysteria. This is insane. I, I live in a in a suburb on the west side. Uh, and uh, we there was a, a protest. A hundred people showed up to one of our parks to, to, for, for a Black Lives Matter rally. Uh, there's going to be another one today. Nothing was boarded up. It was a peaceful demonstration. And, you know, I know that the people of Chagrin Falls take exception to the word hysteria being used to describe what happened there. But, I mean, the fact of the matter is that the, most of the protests that occurred across the country were peaceful. Well, but, I, but, 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 let, but let me let me stop, because the, the, the presumption then, if I'm boarding up my business, my presumption is people are coming to town that are going to destroy my business. And yeah. let's face it, what they're really thinking is African-American people are going to come to my town. I mean, there, there's a the whole idea of what this kid was trying to inject into the thought press of Chagrin Falls, it almost backfired. It was almost like this backlash was, no, no, we're digging in. We're digging right, in. Right, right. So. Well, so the, the, the postscript to, to the whole thing was Chase Teller moved ahead with the protest. <laughs> <laughs> and all, you know, just as uh, they, they, they wrapped up boarding up, all, so arrived all these uh, young people to, to fill the, the park. And How many? People, about 150. And so they had signs. They had a. They were led in prayer by a pastor. They uh, they chanted the names of people who had died in altercations with police. It was lovely and it was peaceful, and it made the downtown business owners look kind of foolish. Honestly, so so let me ask. You know, you started this this discussion by saying this is exactly where the Black Lives Matter moment needs to to be recognized in a town like this. Do you think this will cause the people of Chagrin Falls to do a little bit of soul searching or based on the email you're getting, do you think you're going to get a very defensive crowd saying, no way, no way, this was unfair, we did the right thing? Because I've seen some of the email. Well, it's a great question. I I mean, I'm hopeful that that the message resonated because yesterday there was a second protest and most of the stores had removed their boards. And in fact, I heard that the store owners, some, many of them were outside observing and had the doors open to their stores. And something about that gives me a sense that everyone has learned that demonstration is a necessary part of, of working through this, this pain that this, our society is feeling right now. But I was literally buried under an avalanche of hate mail yesterday. I mean, there were voices in there who were telling me that, you know, thank you for, 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 for giving this, uh, uh, a, a platform, but you know, I, I don't know what's going to happen next. Okay, I mean, but but white, Layla, white America has a long way to go. <laughs> but Layla, I mean, more than a hundred thousand people read that column, and it was shared widely on social media by people who were applauding it. I got some of the same emails saying, you know, how can you run something so skewed in this direction? And you know, I pointed out we also ran a column by Ted Dieden espousing the sentiments that some of the people there were had. But I, th- I guess the thing that I'm pointing out is it's inescapable that Chagrin Falls looks bad here. There, there's right. nobody, I don't think any objective look at this can come away not saying, wow, 
Chagrin Falls, you did not distinguish yourselves with how you handled this first by fighting the protest and, you know, making racist threats against this poor kid. And two, by by making your town seem so hostile to people coming to demonstrate. So I just I just wonder, will the people of Chagrin Falls come together for a moment where they say, wow, this is a learning moment. Or will they just band together in protectionism and try and do what Donald Trump's doing at the White House and just put more barriers up so nobody can get in? Right. You know, I want to say that um, one of the business owners I I spoke to, Chaz Geiger, who owns Geiger's Clothing, you know, he suffered a great loss uh, on Saturday night when his entire store was was looted. Everything was stolen uh, downtown Cleveland. Um, And I got a chance to talk to him. He is about as good and decent a human as you'll ever meet. And in our discussion, he even expressed before saying anything else. He expressed compassion for the kind of anger that turns protests into riots. And I I was moved by that because he was sort of like, as an aside, he was like, you know, after what happened Saturday, you know, my brother and I felt at the last minute that, you know, we just, you know, if something were to happen, we would lose everything, you know? So it's hard not to feel sympathy for the Geigers. I appreciated that he shared his perspective and, and, and I, I was really, really, um, touched by the sentiment he shared about, uh, you know, that his understanding of what causes riots to to jump off in that way and, and, and what, what what lies beneath it, especially after what, you know, what's happened to his business on Saturday. Yeah, right. He but, was gutted. So, yeah. But the fact remains that completely boarding up the business district of an all white town on the eve of a Black Lives Matter rally sends the wrong message and has a chilling effect on free speech. And that's to say nothing of the numerous threats that were made to this 15-year-old activist. Have to move on. Thank you, Layla, for uh, sitting in. I know you're going to uh, get off now. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. I haven't worked in Cleveland for three months, so why do I have to pay income taxes there? And will that change soon? This is an issue that we've been talking about for three months. All these downtown workers that are not working downtown, but the legislature passed something quick in the beginning of their coronavirus crisis to allow companies to continue sending withholdings to the city where they are. Jane Cahoon, we uh, had a very interesting story by Andrew Tobias yesterday that says change could be afoot. Well, they, they might take another look at this. Um, as you said, this was, this was like six lines in a 350 page coronavirus relief bill that they passed back in, in March. And, and as you said, it requires businesses to keep withholding income taxes for, for cities, you know, where a company has its principal business, even if their employees are working from home. And, you know, now that this has been going on a few months, Andrew Tobias talked to um, Christina uh, Rogner, who's who heads a committee um, that uh, that is in charge of tax policy, and so she says, "Well, we might we might want to take another look at this." You know, the the we've said before that this could be the subject of of challenges, you know, lawsuits, and and we don't know of any yet, but people. You know, it's a lot of money. Yeah. And people like like here's have been working for months now. And why should we the the thinking is, why should we pay taxes to a city where we're not even working? Well, here's I took a couple of things away from the story. One, I, I had thought based on the initial reporting that that when the legislature passed that it was just bookkeeping, that the withholding would still go. 
but they weren't saying the cities get to keep the money. I, my reading of the story yesterday is they actually did intend the cities to keep the money. And the argument is that even though I'm working from home, I'm answering to a business that's in town. So the city should get my money. I, I, I find that completely bogus. And I think a lawsuit, <laughs> I, I don't even, I don't even think the Ohio Supreme court would let that stand because you can't take my money as an employee when I'm not working in your city. But 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 at least we know that was actually the lawmaker's intent, which would, would matter in a lawsuit. But I also was I took away the Dan Tierney saying, hey, look, we're, we never intended to kind of penalize where the employees live. If employees want to tell their employers, switch my withholding to the town I live in, they're free to do that. Um, so I wonder wh- whether you would see a whole bunch of employees going to their employers now saying, hey, look, Cleveland taxes at two and a half percent. Where I'm working now, my town taxes at one and a half percent. This is going to save me one percent of my money, switch my withholding. Or if the company won't do the withholding, you know, they'll pay it quarterly like they're supposed to. I, I, it'll be interesting to see what happens. There's clearly an opening for people to save some money, which is important. Right. We were kind of surprised he said that, but he did say that the tax department's interpretation of this is, you know, they don't want to punish employees who want to make sure that their withholding reflects the city where they're working. Well, you you and I live in a stingy community that doesn't really give much of a credit if you work somewhere else. But most of the suburbs around here give a full or partial credit to Cleveland. So if you live, I don't know, in in North Olmstead or somewhere and you're paying taxes in Cleveland, you don't pay in North Olmstead. But you got to think and I and I, and I don't know if this is the deal in North Olmstead. I'm using it as an example. You got to think the pe- the people who run North Olmstead are sitting back going, "Well, hold on a minute. There's a whole bunch of people who live here who are not working downtown. We should be getting their money. They're working in town." So this become and they're all hurting because, you know, as we know, Columbus has taken all their money away over the past 5 years. You got to think that that there's going to be some moves involved because we're talking about millions and millions of dollars, right? Right, and you know, one of the one of the people we talked to who might challenge this—it's it's kind of amusing. He's been so involved in challenging coronavirus restrictions that he that he hasn't been involved in any lawsuits challenging this this particular thing. But you got to believe that's coming. Well, because if you if you get a class action suit going on this and you win. That's a big payday. I mean, you're, you know, even it's just a lot of money at stake. Anyway, it was a great story by Andrew. Check it out on Cleveland.com. You're listening to this week in the CLE. What was that Cleveland police officer shooting at protesters in the video we published on our site Thursday? Uh, it, you know, when we covered this, the, the riot on Saturday, we made it a point to keep our staff back away from danger. We didn't want anybody to get hurt. The video taken by a legal observer was front and center. And Chris Warnaski, it was kind of shocking to watch the cop just walking, shooting what must have been 40 or 50 rounds of something. What's going on in that video? Right. So Corey Schaefer got a hold of this video uh, from one of the legal observers that shows um, an officer. Um, if, if you haven't seen the guns that they use, they're shooting, they're shooting either one of a couple of things. We've heard rubber bullets, pepper pepper pellets and wooden bullets. And right as of today, we have not been able to get to the bottom of what sort of ammunition they were using during this thing. But these things, these guns look sort of like a, 
paintball guns and they kind of sound like paintball guns and yet they're shooting our, things that are pretty pretty you know and this i mean this was and, sounding and Chris, very rapid fire we believe that it's a compressed gas cartridge right it's not gunpowder right. it's right. like a paintball where they okay yeah so, right it's rapid fire it's like almost like a machine gun fire and and in the video you know the officer is is walking around a, an area of the justice center and firing and then it, it appears at one moment he takes aim at the the legal observers which if you were down there you would know were wearing very bright like fluorescent yellow shirts that said legal aid they had armbands and you know they were clearly you know handing out literature and and you know you know keeping an eye on things to you know, you know, keep things on the up and up in the future should, you know, people have to go to court. And, and, and so, you know, we were hearing a lot of talk from people about, you know, just what they were firing, you know, that joins, you know, the tear gas and the, the pepper spray and, and everything else that was being launched that day. It's, it's, look, it's a chilling thing. The, the, the person shooting the video doesn't really turn the camera to how far away the people are that the guy's shooting at. And, and, and just to set the scene, he's walking along the terrace of the Justice Center. At some point, he stops and backs up as if somebody's coming at him. But when he then proceeds forward, you could see there was nobody nobody close. I, uh, you know, I'm glad we're going to keep reporting this to figure out exactly what they were doing. Because as we reported earlier this week, there really was never a clear dispersal order police dispute this, but we had a lot of people down there and unlike in previous demonstrations, they did not go out of their way to say, you know, we order you to disperse and leave this area. And then they're firing at people in a rapid fire fashion. So I hope we, continue to get to the bottom of this. Yeah, I remember the the videos from the RNC and the reporters experience from that and they were really megaphoning the orders to disperse before they would start before the police would sort of like lean in and start getting involved in stuff and you know everyone you know everyone who was down there like most people I've talked to most people reporters have talked to have said like we we heard nothing that was broadcast in a way that people people who were standing at the back of where the protesters were could have heard it and, look, and so that, look, that becomes in, an issue. in 2015 um I know this because I was watching your Facebook live they said over and over again you know, you must disperse. If you don't disperse, we're going to round you. It must have been for 10 minutes. And it was and it was very loud. You could hear it. Everybody could hear it. So, yeah. But I mean, they also had us, you know, kettled in a <laughs> in an yeah, alley. But, 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 yeah. but, but they gave people a, a chance. I mean, they were very clear in their intentions and there was no clarity at all. I mean, I, 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 look, Saturday, it was just like, wait, wait, do people have to leave? Is that what they're saying? Do you just start shooting at people wantonly without telling them to leave? So anyway, good stuff. Check it out on cleveland.com. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. Can zoos, museums, movie theaters, and amusement parks reopen yet following their first forced coronavirus shutdowns? And if they do reopen, will people go? Jane Cahoon, we've been waiting for this announcement for a while and and Thursday brought a whole raft of things that can open. Interestingly, one of them was ice rinks. But as our colleague Laura Johnston mentioned yesterday, people opened them weeks ago. So I'm not quite (laughs) sure what he was thinking and saying they can open June 10th. (laughs) Well, Chris, the, the first three things you mentioned, yes, zoos, museums and movie theaters can open next week as of as of Wednesday. But amusement parks, nope. 
there, there's a whole list of things, as you said, in addition to the ice rinks that you mentioned, aquariums, art galleries, indoor family entertainment centers, laser tag, uh, playgrounds, public recreation centers, social clubs, trampoline parks. Anyway. And, all, you know, all of these, it may, except for movie theaters, make a good bit of sense, right? Because you can do social distancing. If you go to a playground and it's crowded, you can pull back. I don't get the movie theaters sitting shoulder to shoulder. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I don't get how that that that's safe. The amusement park thing is interesting because they're furious. It sounds like a lawsuit was filed um, in yes. Cincinnati and there's going to be one filed for it, Cedar Point. It has been, yeah. The, the update on that is there have been lawsuits filed in both Erie County and Warren County down in southwest Ohio for Cedar Point, Kalahari, and Kings Island. Part of what is frustrating here is that Mike DeWine, the governor, will not explain what the hitch is. I mean, I... I can posit, and you know what it is, what what might be, but he's not saying. I mean, you know, Cedar Point is filled with roller coasters. So if I'm on a roller coaster that goes 120 miles per hour, and I'm in the second car, and Jane Cahoon, you're in the first car, and you have coronavirus, and you breathe out the droplets with the coronavirus, they're going to hit my mouth, my eyes, my nose at 120 miles per hour. <laughs> I'm probably going to get sick. And how do you deal with that? Uh, you know, I, but. Who knows if that's what they're talking about? I mean, they're they're the the Mike DeWine started this crisis promising absolute transparency, and you just cannot get a straight answer from him on this. So I understand the theme parks confusion. If if they said, "Hey, here's what we're worried about: theme park music parks. It, these are the things we think put you in danger," it would at least allow them to do something about it. And let's face it. Disney World opened, right? So if <laughs> the biggest amusement park in America right. can can get going, you would think that others could. Um, and we tried, right? Last night, well, we tried to get an answer. First, and we first couldn't let me clarify, Chris, there's no way you'd ever catch me on a roller coaster. So that's just <laughs> dispense with that thought. Okay. However, yes, we did talk to Dan Tierney, DeWine's spokesman, and he said, listen, th- this is the most difficult part of the decision because, as you know, these places attract big crowds and the mass gatherings. This is the this is the big concern. And he just said the governor knows this is a really important part of our economy, but they're still reviewing the guidelines and they're, they're working on it. it, it yeah. Chris Renesky, go ahead. I'm just wondering if there's a concern that this will be kind of a slippery slope because like you said, that this is a mass gathering. So mass gatherings are banned. So if you open amusement parks, then, you know, who's to say, you know, the Cleveland Indians aren't going to say, well, hey, if you're opening amusement parks, how come we can't open the ball field? And and so, you know, it, it maybe there's it, maybe there's a concern that by opening the gate a little bit for something like an amusement park that other people are going to sort of demand to be let through too. And, and, and and you know maybe just maybe there's a concern that if they start down that road it, it's gonna it's gonna lead to to you know more legal issues more problems but you know I mean again that's speculating the thinking of the governor and it would just be easier if he told us so right exactly so it'll be Dan- interesting to see what happens here excuse me but uh, because just a, a little side note of interest the lawyer who's filed these lawsuits is the same lawyer who challenged 
the order on gym closings and was successful before a friendly judge in Lake County. So <laughs> we'll see if he has any luck convincing the Erie County and Warren County judges. Jane, as often happens, they announce what can open and then they say there'll be rules and it takes a while for the rules to come out. I'm particularly interested in the movie theater opening because if there aren't rules that say there have to be three seats open between any patron or something like that, you're putting people side by side. It's not social distancing. Have we seen the rules yet on a lot of these things? There there was something that the governor tweeted out that was a list of, you know, how they have these charts that say mandatory and then best practices. And it was it was sort of the same thing that the consumer and retail were required to follow, but then it added in entertainment and it did have you know, social distancing, like people should be six feet apart. So I don't know the specifics of, you know, what the, what the movie theaters, how they're, how they're going to handle that. Okay. You're listening to this week in the CLE. What became of the lawsuit filed Wednesday challenging Mayor Frank Jackson's right to lock down Cleveland with a curfew? Uh, Chris Warnowski, you had wondered on Tuesday why there wasn't a lawsuit. Then on Wednesday, there was a lawsuit. And on Thursday, there was not a lawsuit. What happened? Well, it sort of died on the vine because the curfew ends on Friday today. And the city said and and told the judge that we have no immediate plan to continue to extend the curfews. So they sort of everything just sort of got dropped. The attorney sort of pulled out of it. And um, so this sparked us, though, to go and do some reporting on what the authority Jackson and the city actually has to impose a curfew, because the gist of the lawsuit was they don't have it and they didn't articulate reasons for it. So what what did we find? Is there an authority for Frank Jackson to do what he did the way he did it? Um, The short answer is yes. So cities do and mayors do have some some broad law enforcement authority to impose things like this during, you know, emergencies. And but the issue becomes a little murkier the further you get away from the sort of eye of the storm, if you will. And and so, you know, the 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 experts that we talked to basically said that if if he had continued to extend this and there was no real evidence of uh, or threat of unrest that you start to get into first amendment territory where you know now your government is meddling around with people's ability to assemble and 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 to sort of you know just kind of exist in a city where you know they pay taxes and do all those things so so, you know, I just think that if the city had kept going on with this, I, I feel like the judge and I think the judge did say, you know, that that it would have, have warranted some consideration and they would have had to have argued this and explained their decision making a little more in the court. But I, I guess they just didn't want to put everybody through the legal rigmarole since this is is over now. So yeah. Saturday night, Sunday, absolute right to do it. The city mm-hmm. had been in riot. The pro- we we saw our first problems with this thing on Monday morning when there was a confusing order about who could come downtown or not. So a lot of people started being turned away. If a lawyer would have taken this into court on Monday, th- this might have been debated because you are then two days removed. There is no threat that unless they can articulate it of the violence continuing. And and if the lawyer had moved a little more promptly 
we might have had some serious debate about this? Yeah, I think so. You know, I mean, I think the city would have made the argument that there were other demonstrations planned and we, under overabundance of caution, we're going to try to keep the thing locked down, even though, you know, none of the, none of the demonstrations that followed Saturday had anything remotely violent happen at them. So it's hard to speculate what would have happened because we don't really have to worry about it in the short term. Let Go me ahead. ask you this. If if this had if this had gone to a hearing, would Cleveland's preparedness or lack of preparedness for the violence have been a factor? Like might the judge or the attorney been able to point out that one of the reasons Cleveland had what it had is because police might not have been the Cleveland claims they were prepared, but there's some evidence we see that they weren't. Would, mm-hmm. would we have seen a debate maybe about Cleveland's preparedness for that? I think so. And I think you probably would have seen the issue of the confusion within the order itself probably becoming an issue because, you know, if, if you're going to be making a legal argument that, that there's, there's precedent and law and, and, and ordinance on your side, and then you can, you know, and then the method that you execute this was confusing and, and, you know, seemingly, you know, ill communicated between people within the city, you know, it's, you know, that, that's a, that, that would have been, that, that's a window, I think, for an attorney to say, well, okay, how much thought went into this and how yeah. much, you know, how much, how much thinking did you really put into this order before you did I, it? I, I kind of wish the attorney had, had got a lot, a little bit quicker, but we're going to have well, to leave it there. You're listening yeah. to this week in the CLE. Well, thanks, Chris. Thanks, Jane. We're, we've run out of time again. I hope you guys have a good weekend. Thanks to everybody for listening to This Week in the CLE. We will return on Monday. 